Don't worry, Mark is not going to play the trumpet for the sermon. <laughs> I don't think. All right, good verses. So let's, let's explore them. I, I want to just say, I was thinking about as we were singing, um, uh, when you called my name, I jumped out of the grave. I, you, you say that so great. And um, it's really a remarkable verse. And I was thinking, oh, when did I jump out of my grave? And I, and I thought about it real quickly while we were seeing that um, that is really in junior high school. And the way it happened for me is, and this is why I take preaching so seriously and, and the Word of God, is because I was in a uh, confirmation class. I was in the Lutheran history of Baptist preachers, but I've been everything, okay? So, like I said a couple weeks ago, I'm kind of coming back. Um, but I was in a confirmation class. And I started reading my Bible so I'd know all the answers in the confirmation classes. It's the only reason I wanted to do it, so I'd know all the answers. And um, and God touched my heart. And I remember, as a junior high kid, just late nights reading my Bible. And sometimes I'd just fall asleep reading my Bible. And, and just going, wow, it's really true. Everything, grew up in a Christian family, Christian grandparents, a lot of scripture, but just hit me, reading it personally for myself, this is really true. And ever since then, I've just been keen at studying the Bible. It's become so important to me. So I'm delighted to preach. I'm grateful to be here with you um, a great preaching with the preaching team, a uh, talented group of guys, and I'm, I'm just fortunate to be here, so thank you. Um, wonderful text this morning. Um, I should have started with just the warning sign. Warning, beware of dogs. You have been warned, okay? Because Jesus starts with beware. And you know what that means in the Greek? It means beware. Okay? <laughs> so beware of practicing your righteousness before, which means in front of. I mean, it means that in English too, but sometimes when you say it in the Greek, it's just like, oh, yeah, okay, make it, let's just make it really clear. Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Be aware. It's in the imperative. So in the Greek, whenever something's in the imperative, put an exclamation mark after it. Beware. Pay attention. Be alert. Because if you're not, if you don't pay attention to this sign and you go into where these dogs are, you may be eaten by the dogs. Right? You've been warned. What the science sign says. Jesus is saying, be alert, because if you don't pay attention to what you're doing, you may find yourself performing in front of other people. Who does things in front of other people? For the clear purpose of being seen. Who? Actors, movie stars, stage people. That's what they're there for. They're there to be seen by others. And Jesus says, be careful. 
Because if you're not careful, you're going to end up being an actor. Your Christianity is, is going to degrade, really. And that word reward, the word reward in this passage is used three times. The first two times, it means exactly the same thing. The third time, it means almost the exact opposite. And I'll get to that later in the sermon. This is what the word reward means. It, it, it does mean pay. It can mean pay. But it can also mean the word recognition. And I think in this context, recognition is a better thing. You want to be seen by other people, and your reward is going to be uh, the praise of other people, and it's going to be the recognition by other people, but not by God. Because you're being like an actor. And God's not going to give recognition to an actor. The audience will. Not God. God's not interested in your act. God's interested in your heart. God's interested in your mind. God's interested in your true obedience. But God's not so much interested in how you can act. Because actors pretend to be other people. In the Greek theater, they wore masks. And Jesus says, no, that's not really what it's all about. But here's my question with this text. What's the problem with practicing righteousness? Right? I mean, why does Jesus be, be beware of practicing your righteousness? Well, here's the, here's the problem. Okay, I have to lift up. I have it highlighted. Beware of practicing, not righteousness. Jesus is into righteousness, right? Righteousness is good. But here's what he's saying. Be careful of practicing your righteousness. Because my righteousness includes my worldview. The way I see things. The way I think they need to be done. My righteousness is very much about who? Me. And Jesus says, be careful about that. So the issue is not righteousness. The issue is your righteousness. And why should we beware of practicing our righteousness? I have some scriptures for you. First is Romans 3.9. None is righteous. No, not one. Oh. Enter from Psalm 143.2. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Oh. But here's the kicker. We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. The word is really rags, and the word for polluted is, I'm not going to, it's not really a church term, okay? Not a worship term. Adult ed, Bible study, so I'm not going to mention, I'll just say it's, it's a medical term, okay? And it's not a, a polite medical term necessarily. So let's just say dirty laundry, okay? All our righteousness is like dirty laundry. So I want you to think of this. First of all, that's not my dirty laundry. Okay? I called the preaching team and said, could you guys send me a picture of dirty laundry? 
Because if you do, I want to show it to everybody in church. And they wouldn't do it. So this is just from somebody's dirty laundry from the internet, okay? Now, do you want, how many people here, I want to see your show of hands. How many people here would like their dirty laundry shown in church? Raise your hand. Okay, I got one hand. But she's raising her hand for her kids or for her husbands or something. You know, you don't ever pick up your dirty laundry. So I'm going to show it at church. You pick up your laundry. Jesus could have said, beware of putting your dirty laundry out for everybody to see. Because God's not going to praise you for your dirty laundry. And that'd be a good warning, wouldn't it? Beware of doing it. So now you understand something about our, our, my, your righteousness. And Jesus sets out a big warning for us. Be careful of your righteousness. It's not very clean. It's not very good. Don't do it. You have nothing good worth seeing. You have nothing good worth seeing. This passage, if you look at most Bibles, this, they'll probably have a heading that says, Jesus talks about giving. If your Bible says that, mm, right next to it, it's really a passage about righteousness. That's what the passage is about. The passage is about righteousness. The giving part is an example of righteousness, okay? So this is what Jesus says. And this gets real interesting, and I hope I can explain it really well for you. (laughs) He says, thus, when you give. In other words, he's saying, don't display righteousness. Let me give you an example of righteousness that is not well displayed, of righteousness that you shouldn't do. There's two different ways of of showing righteousness, and and I'm going to give you an example. So, but the assumption is in here, in this in his example, well, let's just read it. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. Now, what's really interesting about that is in the synagogue, there's no trumpets. I mean, they don't play trumpets for synagogue, for high holy days, but they don't play trumpets. They don't play, blow their horn. They don't do it. So a lot of people are like, oh, so what does that mean example? For, for you know, What's he really talking about? We'll get to that. Because it's really important. So when you give, uh, uh, that's when you give to the needs. So he's assuming you're going to give. It's a good thing. It's a righteous thing to give. It's absolutely righteous to give. But there's a wrong way and there's a right way. Sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. So the first thing is, the assumption is that you're going to give. That's a righteous thing. So whenever you give your tithes and your offerings, that's a righteous thing. I learned how to tithe when I married my wife. I mean, I kind of knew you were supposed to tithe. Always heard about that. You know, I tried. Wasn't always really good about it. I got married, and she's like, oh, no, we're tithing. It's like, okay. Never missed sense. So it's a good thing. It's, it's an amazing thing because truly you find how God provides. I mean, it's really amazing. Um, how God provides. Uh, lots of stories about that, but we'll never get out of here. Um, 
So this is actually what Jesus is saying here, and I don't think it's easy for us to understand. It's a pretty powerful rebuke. And here's why. The word hypocrite means stage actor. It means to be an actor. That's what the word hypocrite actually means. So I want to read you from a Greek dictionary. This is the standard Greek dictionary, although they'll all say it. I work out of about seven. So this is what it says. It says, in these three passages, because um, he's going to talk about hypocrites not only this week, but next week and the next. Okay, there's several times he's going to talk about hypocrites. So it says, in these three passages, the dramatic aspect of play actor is strongly felt. And you think, well, what would Jesus know about the stage? And this is where it gets really interesting. I'm showing you a picture of a theater. That theater is in a place called, um, if I can say it correctly, uh, Sepphoris. Sepphoris is about three to four miles from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And it was on a hill. So Jesus, growing up in Nazareth, could see the three miles away, this city. Sepphoris, I don't know how many of you know this, probably a lot of you, but I didn't really realize it, is the capital city of Galilee, the regional city of Galilee. Not of Israel, not of, but of Galilee. It's like the county seat of government, if you will. And Sepphoris oftentimes was destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt. And when it was rebuilt, they rebuilt it with a theater. Just a couple other things about Sepphoris. It was 25,000 people. Nazareth was about 300. Maybe pushing it 400. Probably, you know, closely related people, you know. They knew each other. And where do you think the work was? If you didn't farm, it was in Sepphoris, about three to four miles away. And Sepphoris was on the way to Cana. Remember what happened to Cana? There's a wedding in Cana. Jesus turned the water to wine. So if you're going to get to Cana, which is up here, Sepphoris is right here. Judea is in the hill country right here. And there's a main Roman road. I mean, I suppose you could walk to Cana through the hills. Probably not. A lot faster. Just get on the road and go to Cana. And that took you through Sepphoris. Sepphoris was a Greek place. There were lots of, uh, lots of Jews there. But um, there are a lot, of, a lot of Greeks there. So there's probably a synagogue there. In fact, we've uncovered some, uh, but from a much later time. But the writings of the period indicate that there were theaters there. And, um, and the, uh, the interesting thing, thing is that uh, in the second century A.D., Sepphoris became the center of rabbinic Judaism. So Jesus levels something on these people that's really important. One last thing, the trumpet. Let me read you what would happen in that theater, and then we'll get a picture of what Jesus is saying. It's early in the morning, and the audience has filled the benches. You can see where they would have bent, and the wealthy people would have sat in the front. So it's early in the morning. The audience has filled the benches. There is a trumpet call. And everyone falls silent. There are no lights and no curtain to go up. 
round the corner of the stage building, moving out into a position in the front, comes a procession of pagan priests carrying branches of olives, uh, which they put down on the altar in front of the stage building. So no Jewish person who knows God and loves God would ever go to the theater. It's a thoroughly pagan place. Just not going to happen. So when Jesus says, sound no trumpet before you, as the actors do, sound no trumpet that they do in the theater for the actors, sound no trumpet for you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Oh, you see the problem? When they make a big deal of their piety and their righteousness, they're making the synagogue, the church, if you will, into a theater, into a pagan theater. Jesus is saying, sound no trumpet before you like the actor. There is no righteousness in pretending to be somebody you're not. And there's no righteousness in calling attention to being somebody you're not. All the praise an actor gets is from the audience. Their recognition is from the audience. They need to be aware because they're treating the synagogue like a pagan Greek theater. In fact, for these people, life is becoming one big act. And it doesn't need to be that way. One other note here, it's really important. That word hypocrite. The word hypocrite is not used in the Gospel of John. It's used one time in Mark's Gospel. It's used three times in Luke's Gospel. It's used 13 times in the Gospel of Matthew. So what do you think Matthew is concerned about? Matthew is concerned about authentic Christianity. Matthew is concerned that we are the same persons here right now as we are when we leave. In fact, I like to say, right at this moment, we are the church gathered. When you leave this morning, you are still the church you are the church scattered. You never cease being the church. Do you know that? We don't go to church. We gather with the church. Because the church never ceases to be. And Matthew wants us to understand that. So that we're not hypocrites. There's a, one of the, uh, Matthew Bren, um, Brendan Manning says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, a stage actor, and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds Unbelievable. We're always the church. Don't ever forget that, church. We're always the church. I love this, also, this quote also that is worth mentioning. Oh, well, 
we explained that one. I, I just put this one up because it, it, that mosaic shows you that Sepphoris was, was, it was the center of everything and it had great art and great commerce uh, in it. Um, but here's the one. If you leave, live for people's acceptance, you'll die from their rejection. For the Christian, we have to find our acceptance in Christ and Christ alone. So I have some verses for you about that. We are in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, okay? 1 through 6. But in verse 26, Jesus says this, Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? We don't need the applause of the audience. We don't need to make a big deal. We're worth everything to Christ. And then Matthew 10, it says, he almost says the same thing. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. We don't need to make a big deal. Our righteousness isn't worth it. We are so incredibly value, valuable. And then this amazing verse from 2 Corinthians. For our sake, he for our sake, he made him, that would be Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him, you are God's righteousness. Think about it. You are not a dirty rag. He has taken our dirty rags so that we could put on his righteousness, so that we could be clothed in his righteousness, which is what makes it possible for us to have a personal relationship with God. Because we are clothed with Christ, not our dirty rags. So if we're going to show forth righteousness, it's because of Christ and his righteousness, because we are the righteousness of God. Now he gives the right way. So the wrong way to give is to, for it to be about us. It's not about us. We are God's righteousness. We don't have to put on an act for God. So now he gives the right way. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. One hand doesn't need to know what the other hand is doing. Our hands will simply know what to do. And you see those hands there making a cross. Our hands will know what to do. We don't need to make a big deal about it. I want to give you a story uh, about a relationship I had, at, at, a friendship uh, with a guy at church uh, a number of years ago, about 20 years ago. And he was a guy that worked in a factory on a conveyor belt, and a very faithful, very committed family guy, working guy. I went to a, uh, there was a Louis Palau. How many people know who Louis Palau is? Okay, he's kind of like a Billy Graham, Latin American Billy Graham, a revival kind of thing. And he was in Chicago. And I, I said to my friend, I said, um, and, and, and he wasn't a Christian, but he came around church a lot because his 
mother and grandmother and family kind of dead. I said to him, I said, why don't you come with me? I'm going to go. He's like, okay. We went and we heard Lewis Plow and I'm kind of looking at him when we're singing, while he's preaching, I'm looking at him. You know, so I see God moving, you know, looking. And I went home and I thought, oh well, I guess it didn't mean much. He was a great speaker. I loved it. It was good. Unbeknownst to me, a week later, he comes up to me and says, you know, I gave my life to Christ at that Lewis Palau thing. I'm like, wow. You know, you didn't go forward, did you? Well, he didn't need to. He didn't need to make a big deal of it. Oh, okay. And he said, and I need to, to learn how to tithe. What's tithing? I said, well, it's 10% of your income. How do I figure that out? I was like, well, you have to tell me how much you make. I said, I don't need to know how much. I just want to let you know, I don't ever want to know what anybody makes. I don't ever look as a pastor. I never wanted to know because then I could preach freely. You know, you don't feel like, oh, he's talking about me. If, you, if I talk about money and you feel like I'm talking about you, I'm not. The Holy Spirit is, okay? Just want you to be sure. I don't know what anybody gives. I don't care to know. But I told, I told my friend, I said, well, you got to tell me how much you make. I, I said, do you feel comfortable doing that? I don't need to know. He goes, no, I, I'll tell you. And I said, okay, and how much do you give? And he said, well, I give $5 a week. I said, oh, boy. <laughs> I said, well, if you're going to give a tithe, you have to increase your giving by eight times. So $40 a week. He's like, okay. He didn't need to tell anybody. His wife, and she was for it. But I know that's what he gave because um, I, I, he didn't have to have this, but I kind of became his accountability partner. And if he ever missed a week, he'd come and tell me. I'm like, okay, you don't need to tell me. It's okay. <laughs> but he wanted to be sure to know that he was being righteous. I mean, he didn't say that word righteous. He just wanted me to know that he was trying to follow God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Jesus talked about. When, when you give to me, don't let your left hand know what you... He didn't even walk forward for the, for the, for the salvation call. That's okay. He didn't need to be seen. He knew Christ. He wanted to give. It's just what he wanted to do. Our passage ends with... It's a short passage, but we're not done. The passage ends with... The Father who sees you in, uh, you in secret will reward you. This is the third time reward is mentioned. The first two times, it's he'll rec- you'll, get, you'll get recognized. If you make a big deal about you, you will be recognized. But here's a completely different word. The word here means will pay back, repay, or to restore. So in Proverbs 19, in the Greek version called the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible, which was written uh, 100, uh, 250 years before Jesus. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. The word is reward. It's the exact same word that Jesus used. In other words, you have God's recognition. God knows when you give. And God will take care of you and God will take care of the poor. After all, 
you're more valuable to God than the sparrows. When you give in secret, you're more like a sparrow who has to trust God for daily food, which God provides, than the actors who get approval and acceptance from the audience. Now, I said that the passage is all about righteousness, right? And then the giving was just an example. Here's how you give in a righteous way. Here's how you give in an unrighteous way, okay? What else does righteousness look like? And that's what I got to thinking. So I'm going to close with, with, a, um, with a couple film clips that have been spliced together about runners running a marathon. And when I show this, I want you to look for the kind of righteousness that draws no attention to itself. And notice what happens. And after I, we, we watch this, I'm going to, um, my takeaways will be reflections on it um, ab- upon righteousness. So we're going to watch this, and because our righteousness isn't just in giving, how else do we act righteously without regard to ourselves? passing them by.
Righteousness. Righteousness does not have to win. Righteousness. Let me put these up. These are important. Righteousness is a willingness to stop what you're doing in order to help someone else. And that becomes really important with children and parents because what we do is so important. And it's easy to put our kids off. They can wait. But righteousness is a willingness to stop what you're doing in order to help somebody else. Righteousness takes notice when someone else is hurting and offers help. Righteousness brings others across the finishing line. If you've cared for a spouse with cancer, if you've cared for um, someone like me, Bonnie, Bonnie brings me across the finishing line all the time. That's righteousness. That's what Jesus is talking about. And you don't make a big deal of it. Righteousness helps the weak. Righteousness needs no reward or recognition, does it? The strength of the righteous is in their ability to help the weak. Righteousness can be a simple thing, but nobody wants to do it. Do you notice how many people ran by those racers? No, they're going to get in first place. Do you notice the second one? She was pulling that poor lady. You look at she was going to lose. She fell right before the finish line at the last second. She raised her up and had her touch first place. She didn't first do it and then bring her friend across. She had a friend touch it. Righteousness is always sacrificial and costly. interesting that we read Titus chapter 2 this morning. Um, I want to read from, this is what Titus chapter 3, because this is what Jesus does for us. He carries us across the finish line. He puts our cross on his back. Titus 3 says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Our righteousness that's pretty dirty stuff. His righteousness, pretty incredible. What well, would be really interesting would be to find out how many of those people that helped other racers were Christians, wouldn't it? Bonnie watched these with me. I said, yeah, should I should, would this be appropriate? And I thought, yeah, I'm going to show up because it, it encapsulates so much. But she saw the, the two African racers and she said, I bet that guy's a Christian. Because Africans are very humble people. We know a lot of them. They're just very humble people. Who do you know? Who do you know that needs your righteousness? That Christ has given you. The righteousness that he's put on you because you are the righteousness of God. It's not your righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. Righteousness. 
given to us at the cross and through the resurrection. Who needs you? Let us pray. Lord God, you don't want us to make church a theater. It's not a place for us to get recognition and to lift ourselves up. And when we, we leave the Sunday morning worship, God, we know that we still are the church. And you want us to live authentic lives out there, being righteous to people that, are, that will never get past that finish line without us, without our help, without us noticing. And when we help them, it's not about our righteousness. It's about the righteousness that you have given us and you have clothed us in your righteousness, because ours is just dirty rags. So help us to see, to know, and to show your righteousness to other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's respond to God's word today and stand as we sing this song as a prayer to the Lord.